ADT professionally installs Google Nest products, helping to make your home safe and smart. You can check in on your home and manage your security system from virtually anywhere. And with Nest Cams and Nest Doorbell, you get intelligent alerts on what matters most. Plus, when every second counts, you can trust ADT's 24-7 professional monitoring. When the most trusted name in home security adds the intelligence of Google, you've got a home with no worries. Go to ADT.com today or call 1-800-ADT-ASAP. Let's get down for eSports! Hello and welcome to another edition of Nerf This. I am Seven, once again, leading the show, and uh, the arm candy, which I just referred to him, uh, Kevin Hit is here, uh, joining once again. Thanks, Kevin. Yeah, no, have you seen my pictures? I'm definitely arm candy. I'm a, <laughs> everybody's a 10 in the dark, right? That's, uh, that's what I go with. You said you just finished uh, finished up the studio, so I assume there's no lights in that studio. Is that what you're trying oh. to tell me? Yeah, no, I look great with my eyes closed. Looking in the mirror, it's I, like I said, I'm a ten. As Brian always joked, uh, got that uh, the face for radio. Yeah, <laughs> face for radio and a voice for print. I guess I'm just kind of the double whammy. <laughs> All right, so uh, this week we have a jam packed show full of uh, Overwatch, CS:GO, a little bit on Dota too. Imagine that. And some Hearthstone to wrap it up. Uh, I do want to jump right into Overwatch, uh, but before that, I do have to talk about a beer. Drinking a beer again this week. Uh, we sometimes forget to mention it on the show. Uh, this week is Bale Breaker Brewing Company's Top Cutter and IPA. Uh, I believe it's like 6.8 IB or ABV. <laughs> it's obviously working because I can't speak. Um, yeah, kicking it off early. But uh, all right, the stage one finals. Spitfire versus NYXL. How'd it go? Well, I think it's great to see. Um, you know, it's so funny is, you know, the London Spitfire, but uh, everybody associates them with Cloud9 and Jack, and we all love Jack. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of, I don't know what Jack has done in terms of uh, made a deal with the devil or something, but, you know, CSGO team wins the major. His uh, Overwatch team wins stage one, takes home 100 grand. Uh, he's got to be feeling really good. Um, Blizzard's got to be feeling really good. And I know a lot of the fans around here feeling really good. So it was uh, a very cool final to watch. I think a lot of people are just excited to see not C9 win. (laughs) Well, here's here's one of the things. I'm a Cloud9 fan. We've talked about it. We talked about it last episode. I talked about it all the time. Uh, I've still been on the fence of whether or not Spitfire is my team. And the more that I watch uh, the Excelsior, NYXL just feels more like my team, even though I kind of want the Outlaws. It, I'm torn, right? Uh, I didn't go down that fuel round, which I felt like everybody was like, oh, they're the best streamers and yada, yada, yada. The fan club it out. Um, it just wasn't me. It just something felt off there. Um, but NYXL just grown on me more and more and more. I mean, uh, Saviolbi, Pine, uh, just there's just so much goodness in that team and so many cool characters. Uh, and then you got Flower coming up. And so Brian's like gone into diehard Spitfire mode, but I'll let you in on a little secret. He's secretly an NYXL fan. He's, he's slowly turned in that direction. Um, 
and uh, probably more so being that he's been all drugged up from the dentist today. Uh, <laughs> Woo! Yeah, dude, dude got like twelve uh, holes drilled in his jaw, which is why he's not here this week. He has a legit excuse, uh, but talking is not something he's really doing or feeling like doing right now. Ironically, makes it the best part of our relationship. So, uh, anyways, back to back to Overwatch. Um, yeah, yeah, this beer. It was close. Everything was close between these two teams. Uh, they've both been kind of duking it out uh, all weekend long. Even I believe, if I'm correct, uh, NYXL took the first match this weekend, uh, and then London Spitfire had to come back and play something like ten games to come back team to the final. Uh, and it's just been a, an absurd run for the Spitfire. The fact that they were able to pull off a win uh, and they take the best of five and in a reverse sweep, nonetheless. So they're the 14th or 15th uh, map of the day <laughs> of the day <laughs> yeah. uh, was to clinch the finals. Uh, props to them. Uh, both teams put up uh, an amazing, amazing fight. They're different teams but very similar in a lot of ways. But what I really liked was how um, both teams took this kind of a counter pick uh, or they were able to really make counter comps and or adjustments on the fly that totally disrupted the other team. It was just really good gameplay, uh, really good strats, amazing coaching throughout the the entire finals. Uh, Yeah. Any highlights, man? Well, first of all, I would be a New York fan, too, if their logo didn't give me seizures every time I look at it. it okay, um, the logo I like, <laughs> it's the color. The red-blue colors are just not. No, no, that's my – well, we'll I, I digress. I get vertigo. I cannot really? get past – it's like those blur shirts that you can buy. <laughs> Literally, I'm so. – I I can't focus when I see that logo on something. Next, so, next time we're out having drinks, I'm going to do jazz hands and just watch it drop. It'd be like, you're like those yeah, fainting yeah. goats. <laughs> jazz hands and wear a New York Celsius. I'm sure to just fall over, go dead cockroach on everybody. Um, the one thing that I did like uh, is the perseverance of uh, the Spitfire. I, I really think that, you know, those guys, again, having to, you know, play as much as they did, and having the wherewithal to continue to push and win. And, you know, the funny thing is, is like you said, it was really tight. And uh, that brings a lot of drama. That brings a lot of good gameplay. Um, and the audience was into it. And that's one of the cool things. Um, so I was very excited to see that. Very excited to see the Spitfire take care of business. But at the same time, you know, no one was, no one's really sure still who the best team is in the Overwatch League because there's any number of, you know, four different teams that can all kind of say, yeah, you know, we're good, we're good. So I'm looking forward to the other stages. And I really think that gameplay is going to continue to get better um, over the course of this inaugural season. I, I agree. I think both of these teams, uh, I mean, just, any any slight change, and we would have had a winner of NYXL. Um, it, it just it, everything was so close, right? I mean, I think, believe in like Oasis, uh, NYXL ended up taking the map, but both times I think it was uh, uh, they stole it back, uh, the control point back at ninety nine percent or something absurd, and so it's just. Uh, so close, and uh, it could have swung e- either way at any given time. You never really knew. 
Yeah. And honestly, that, you know, I was hoping they could parlay that into some success into the, you know, next three maps. And because, look, (laughs) they barely won. You know, they had there was a total of, I believe, 15 team fights and New York won eight of them. And, you know, they outkilled London 45 to 44. And so even though it was close, they did, you know, take care of that. But it didn't it didn't parlay itself into in you know, the next three wins. And, you know, I really can't put my finger on um, what happened in the next three maps. But I'll tell you this, as soon as that kind of tidal wave started coming their way, I felt like London just like their CSGO team felt like, you know, C9 felt like that they are still in control, that there was no worries there. And I really, really like that. And I think that perseverance and it showed how many maps did they have to play, you know, and then coming back, you know, from an O2 deficit that shows a lot of perseverance on their part. And I thought that was awesome. One of the things I'll tell you that I think happened, uh, especially on Dorado, was Birdring. I think Birdring found his own. Uh, he became such a huge problem for NYXL on his Widowmaker. I mean, he was basically left uncontested for so long that he was just free firing and, and, and punishing during their entire like offensive push. Uh, I think he was 54 and 15 on Dorado, 33 final blows. I don't believe they put him in check at any point in time. And if he, he ended up earning the MVP for that map as well, and rightfully so, I think it may even earn MVP for the entire uh, uh, duration of, of that final um, because he was just on point. And in, even in Junkertown, it was a, you know, it was a sniping match between uh, him and Pine. And Pine gets a lot of the credit for just being, yeah, it's more like showmanship. He's also really impressive. Um, But Birdring really held his own throughout the entirety um, of this final. And on Dorado, that was just basically where he he clinched it. On top of that, you also had Profit uh, on defense. And this is the thing I was talking about where they, they kind of changed it up uh, and, and kind of screwed with NYXL. And I believe it was NYXL who had an issue uh, earlier in the day with someone switching to Junkrat. And they basically announced that, oh, yeah, that was why we had it was so close or why it was a problem because of, uh, I believe it was maybe it was Outlaws. Switch, someone switched to uh, Junkrat. I didn't get a chance to watch that. I only got to watch the finals. But uh, basically, uh, Spitfire, what they decided to do was go ahead and switch over uh, in Dorado, it was almost kind of clutch because right near the end, uh, the the last two pushes, they delayed the ne- the next to last push um, by him getting two kills uh, with his rip tire, and then really the the big main push, uh, he was able to come back again uh, after I guess it's basically their last ditch push, and he was able to take out Ark's Mercy with the rip tire right at the end, uh, pretty much crippling NYXL in their last final push with, like, I think they started that push with, like, 12 seconds left or something, uh, and they would have to, write, they'd have to write that out for quite some time, but it just, that was the winning piece, really, between uh, Profit jumping on Junkrat uh, and Birdring just, just destroying people throughout the entirety of, uh, of Dorado. 
It was really why uh, Spitfire, uh, both on offense and defense, just came alive on that last map. Uh, where before, in those early maps, on like Junkertown, Oasis, their their defense just kind of crumbled um, at, at certain points. Even on Numbani, they kind of had um, uh, what, uh, an awakening of sorts from from their offense and their defense, where they held point A right off the bat. And I, I think that's what it was: is you you, you saw this momentum. Uh, it happened uh, with lunar, the Lunar Colony win. I think the new Mbani piece was probably the best one. They took A super fast. They defended A almost flawlessly. Uh, and they shouldn't have been able to take A in the way that they did. And, and so I, I think that's the piece. I think that's where they came from or where it started. Yeah, you know, and I think, you know, you, you make a good point. That Junkrat play at the end. Um, we're going to be seeing a lot more Junkrat, and I, I love it. I mean, imagine clearing out a site with uh, Diva's ult and Junkrat's ult, and you're going to be able to clear out an entire site and jump on it. So I think I think we're going to be seeing uh, that little bit of shift in the meta now that Mercy is uh, basically unplayable in this next stage. Yeah, stage two is going to be uh, it's going to be interesting because the the meta will be uh, changed almost uh, considerably, <laughs> especially with the Mercy nerfs. The strategies will be different. Uh, hopefully the comps will be different. Um, Lucio might find his way back into the, the main meta. Uh, we don't know. But things are things are changing. Things still could change during this off week. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I'm excited for Stage 2. I think we have uh, a, a couple of teams that are just a, on a, a hot streak, right? You've got Spitfire, NYXL, Outlaws that were just doing some amazing stuff. And I, I'd love to see what happens. I lo- I'd love to see... Uh, you know what the other teams who they pick up to kind of fill in some gaps i'd love to see the fuel win maybe three i think i don't know if they ever got to three wins in a stage um they did get that last one i believe but i I, overwatch league has been just phenomenal i think stage one has turned out well they've got some new new talent in their hosting uh things are things are going well well enough that i did want to kind of jump into this new piece uh of information that came out during their conference call uh or sorry their uh stockholders call uh which was that they they want to expand but not only do they want to expand but the overwatch buy-in could jump up to 60 million we've heard ranges from 35 to 60 and this last round initially get in was around 20 uh, from what we hear uh you wrote a piece on this for vp esports what's going on with this three times possible jump to get a team in overwatch well there's a couple things and i think it's um very interesting that all of this is coming out uh on blizzard's announcements that they're ahead you know, of expectations in terms of uh, revenue, sponsorships, and and things like that. Although the numbers were never given to the press. So we don't know what exactly that means. Are they $1 more than, you know, what they were expected? Are they, you know, $100 million? But here's the thing. Get them while they're hot. And I think that's what these guys are doing. They're going to go out. They've got a lot of good information in terms, a lot of positive information, and they're going to try and and turn that into teams as fast as they can, because you just never know what's going to happen next month and the month after that. You know, numbers could die, people could stop watching, blah, blah, blah. But I'm telling you, Blizzard, Activision, these guys, 
They're so smart. They get it. I mean, they sat back and they watched all the mistakes that everybody else was making in terms of their leagues and then came out with this model that's absolutely, you know, blowing people out of the water right now. And then who follows suit? You know, you've got other, you know, Riot and LCS and now franchise models and all that stuff starting to happen. But Blizzard now, you know, can tout the success of this you know, first stage and say, look how many people we have watching and look how many people have stayed watching. You know, we're selling out the arena. Merchandise is here. And, you know, they are close to half a billion dollars right now in terms of sponsorship, revenue, merchandise, all those things put together. And let me tell you, there are some very smart human beings that are in traditional sports. And, you know, a lot of these guys want to make a, a little bit of profit. And by a little bit, I mean a lot of profit. And if I came to you and said, hey, this is turning into a half a billion dollar industry and we want you to be a part and your buy-in is 30 to 60 million to be a part of something that's, you know, half a billion dollars, seems like a no-brainer to me. So I think Blizzard is jumping on this hot iron right now and um, is reaching out to folks saying, Get in while it's hot, man. And you mentioned that there are some teams, uh, sorry, some sports teams owners who are jumping into this. And uh, so there's there's a, a little bit of a mixed feeling here, right? So you've got uh, traditional sports, I guess you could say, uh, jumping on this uh, supposed bandwagon because it fills a gap, uh, at least in the U.S. markets or, or and or elsewhere, but largely U.S. markets because it's largely U.S. companies buying in uh, this this age gap. They want this age group, right? But when you go outside of, uh, you know, North American based companies owning teams, you only have one. And that uh, I believe is the Netties, which owns Shanghai Dragons. I don't know if that $60 million price tag works well outside of North America, if you, especially if you're not a traditional team who's looking to buy into it. Now, I know we've seen a lot of uh, soccer or football, I guess, depending where you are teams, uh, in other regions like Schalke has jumped on. Uh, I think we've even seen a PSG, a couple of different groups jump in and try and get more notoriety around having esports and, and, and get to these other age groups. But do you think that they're going to have a hard time hitting 60 million from another company outside of the United States? Yeah, I do. I, I, I mean, 60 million is a steep, price to pay to get into a league now but here's the thing we haven't been able to see the books i'm sure that before these guys ever go you know what we want in they have to have some kind of proof of concept they have to look at the book see what's coming in see where the revenue is see the revenue share um you know what's going to trickle down but f- for me you know as a fan what this tells me is there is some staying power to this league. Blizzard is not just into it for two seasons. If they're actively seeking people for a season two entry, that means this league, they're looking long-term. And for to me, that's great news because everybody was worried. Ah, oh, this league could only last two years and then, you know, be defunct and everybody's out $30 million. Well, guess what? I freaking love Overwatch, and I think Blizzard going out and saying, you know, we're going to go grab more teams is indicative of that, you know, they've got good numbers and they're ready to move forward. And again, 
I have to see the books. 60 million may not be too much if there's enough revenue to go around where people are able to pay their players, make some profit on the merchandise. You know, I mean, how fast can you recoup that $60 million? Um, I just, I think it's great, but I do at the same time think that there's going to be, I think the price is going to come down a little bit. I think you're going to see people getting in for about 45. And I mean, I can't wait to see what cities. Aren't you excited, dude? Let's see if there's a Sydney (laughs) team. Let's see if there's a Toronto team, you know, Berlin, who knows? I'm just super excited to see what other teams get into this league, but that's going to, you know, bring another problem for a discussion for another day on how do you run a league with all these teams from different countries? Is it going to be a traveling circus or not? But that's a discussion for another time. Yeah, I'm super excited to see where they where they go and who they get, uh, what what city, what ownership, uh, and and how that changes or grows, uh, especially in season two and beyond. If you're looking to sell it for thirty five, forty, fifty, sixty million dollars, uh, you have to be projecting more than two seasons out, uh, even from that purchase, right? So they've they've got some uh, long term plans. And my guess is if they're touting that much money that they're working with sponsors or investors for longer term deals outside of this year. So like things with Toyota might be going really, really well. And they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll look at your three and your four maybe. Uh, and so they have to have something on their side that they haven't so much disclosed publicly. And that's what they're using to kind of uh, lure people in. The, the dangling that carrot in front of these people, especially if you're going to pony up $60 million. Uh, with that, I think what we're going to do is go ahead and hop to our first break, uh, and we will be back. And, of course, we're going to talk some CSGO because that's what we do. All right, and we are back, and, of course, we're talking some CSGO. And this weekend, a couple of news stories. The main tournament, so to speak, was uh, CS Summit 2. And that was a great showing by Team Liquid with their their newfound member, NAF, uh, picking up a win, topping Cloud9, uh, three games to two to win out CS Summit and uh, take home that trophy. Uh, NAF actually was the one who got the MVP for that series, which is an incredible run. Now, uh, to give you an example, it ended up 3-2, but Team Liquid came from the lower bracket. And in doing so, Cloud9 basically started off with a one-game win or one-game lead in that. So ultimately, it was really three to one is what it, <laughs> what it ended up being. But uh, NAF had an incredible showing uh, on overpass. I think he was like 29 and 17. Uh, he earned like a 1.68. I just absolutely destroying absolutely destroying cloud nine on that last round uh and there were some really cool uh, runs i think uh it was a cloud nine uh going on an absolute tear stewie getting a uh a 3k with two bullets in a deagle which is always <laughs> impressive on cash and that basically set off like a 13 win round streak with cloud nine uh and, and so it it was it's one of those tournaments which is really nice to have because of just the uh, the air and the fun of of, of a CS Summit, uh, and it's it's kind of like the the exact opposite of a major in terms of how people take it in terms of seriousness. Uh, but there's a couple of cool storylines in this. Uh, SK got the finally uh, face Cloud Nine with their full lineup, 
and they lost. So we've settled that. We've settled that for once because you know that they were both playing their hardest that one. There was no fun in that game. Um, we got to see uh, Nath and, and Liquid basically running with their their full, first full team. Nath only had seven days with them, I believe. It's seven days from the official announcement. Um, but it's just it's a fun tournament to watch. Did you get a chance to see a little bit of CSGO this weekend? Oh, come on. The Summit? <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that it's for me, a double-edged sword, the summit for me is, you know, it's cool that they're in a relaxed atmosphere. They're in a house, they're all chilling and, you know, but at the same time, in my opinion, let's just put it out there. I don't think that being at a house, playing in your socks in upstairs bedrooms, gives you that rush, that adrenaline rush of playing in front of a crowd and really, you know, going the extra mile. Look, the summit was, it's good for the fans because there's a lot of things right. that you get, you get to see real personalities. You get to see these guys outside, uh, you know, of their broadcasting self or outside of their, you know, you know, their protective persona. They're in a laid back environment. So for the fans, it's super cool to see them on stream, do you know, on uh, watching them do that. Yeah. Um, for me, the gameplay was okay. Um, it wasn't the best, but at the same time, you know, I, I don't put a whole lot of stock in the team liquid winning the CS summit and meaning that team liquid has arrived. And now they're one of the best <laughs> teams in the world. I'm just not seeing that. I think Team Liquid played very well, but at the same time, I think SK and Cloud9 were just like, you know what? This is fun. This is cool. Look, I'm not saying that they weren't playing hard. I'm just saying not major hard, not, you know, <laughs> dream hack, not right. just not the same. So for me, I really don't put a whole lot of stock into the wins and losses of the Summit. No, and it's not. It's it's very much uh, if you're coming from like another uh, game, say Hearthstone. It's a lot like the Seat Story Cup. It's uh, uh, invited teams. They kind of joke around. Uh, they have a little bit of fun. I think at one point in time they they showed like Nico uh, eating Twinkies and like they're giving us like his first Twinkies. And I think it was like, I, didn't I see this in a movie about zombies? Just stuff like that. Like they, it, it's way more candid. Uh, they get a lot of the players to come on and cast and weigh in and, and analyze other games. I mean, this is a type of series where you're going to see everybody run full duelies on a pistol round just for funsies, right? And like, it's that kind of stuff there. It's not a hundred percent serious, but there is some seriousness to it uh, for certain teams. I think when they get in, they start playing, there is an element of seriousness, but it's, it's also a, a, a testing ground for maybe other strats or just to mess around or to get to know new players on your team like NAF, uh, or I believe a, this, they got to actually run with bolts again, SK did. And so it's, it's a little bit of a testing ground. I, I don't think you come out of something being like, Oh man, they, they're going to jump up in the HLTV rankings a ton because of, because of that win. Right. It's not, it's not one of those ones where you think like they, they're just, uh, you know, you don't jump Team Liquid to like a rank five, rank four because of a CS Summit win. But uh, especially Team Liquid, because this is probably their one win for the year, right? Because that's what they do. They win one and they disappear. But <laughs> yeah. 
not not to just totally rag on them, but it, it's great. It's it's good that they did get a win. Uh, they always seem to come out and get the most unlikeliest of wins, and then they go back into disappearing. But I'm hoping that this being seven days with Naf, uh, that there, there's there's more to come, right? I'm hoping Zeus can get them going, right? Let's another NA team. Let's do it, right? Yeah. So. No, Zeus is. I tell you what, Zeus knows his stuff, and I I love that dude. And I, you know, being a coach myself, I'm always looking at other coaches and seeing what they're doing with their teams. So when Zeus and, and Zach, uh, a former Immortals coach. Um, I really, really like the way that they uh, do things uh, inside and outside of the game. But for the Summit, there's a place for this tournament, and the fans are the winners. They get to see a lot of things that they normally don't get to see. So I, I believe that these teams use the Summit as basically scrim sessions are getting paid to play. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a great thing. I think these guys are going in there and, like you said, just going. I mean, how many I, I could count? Like, I think it was five or six times uh, people just trying to knife each other in the middle of a round. For me, that's the fun stuff. It's like a show match. You're watching these guys doing some fun things. So, for me, the summit is an absolutely, it's a great tournament for the fans. I think it's needed, um, it's great entertainment. But at the same time, uh, it just isn't indicative of who these teams truly are as they go on to play in other tournaments. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a good way of putting it. Uh, it's uh, it's a fun show match, essentially. That's about the, the uh, I guess, the weight put behind it. There might be money thrown behind it. <laughs> we don't know. There might be some other wagers, like you have to eat an entire box of Twinkies, or there's other gambling monies and that's my segue into um the recent blog from valve uh talking about or laying out some guidelines around gambling with csgo and basically uh just making sure that tournament throwers and team owners and, and things like that are, are abiding by just values of not uh basically using insider information to gamble on matches. And this is something you, you threw in the show notes, uh, right at the right, right out of the gate. You're like, man, this is, there's something here. And I totally agree with you because valve is never proactive when it comes to this stuff. So something has happened somewhere or they, they know of something coming around CSGO and gambling or something happened. I, what, what's your take on this? Well, I think what's going on is, the United States is very, very close to legalizing gambling for esports and, and things like that. And the problem, and I think, you know, Bryce Blum, um, one of the, you know, top lawyers in all of esports, he is kind of the pioneer of everything. Um, he, ha- he actually represents Unicorn, um, is very well versed in, in gambling law and United States law when it comes to that stuff. And he was a guy and he came on Twitter today and he was like, you know, hey, gambling's about ready to be legalized in the United States for esports. Act accordingly. And so he went on, you know, like four tweets about how to handle yourself. You know, don't don't associate, you know, with gambling sharks and don't bet. Well, here's the problem. I, I swear it's it's almost like CSGO dev, uh, the one that didn't get arrested, um, saw that, you know, he had tweeted this out and that they needed to make sure that they um, are covering themselves and they wanted, they normally don't talk about anything. They're so tight lipped because 
they just make money. Valve is a money making yeah. machine, so they feel like they don't have to say anything to anybody. And, you know, so be it. But here's the thing. There's an easy freaking rule that you could make. How about this? If you are a professional Counter-Strike global offensive player, coach, or staff member, or member of the org, you don't get to bet on CSGO. How's that? Instead, they want to go, well, you shouldn't do it. You shouldn't bet. We recommend that you we recommend that you never bet on any CSGO gamer match. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? So I wish Major League Baseball, the NFL, NBA, NH, you know, NHL, I wish all those guys, you know, it's recommended. No, they have hard and fast rules that you can't bet on the sport. And I don't get it. Valve, they could eliminate all this stuff by simply saying, if you are going to play our game and you are a professional in a league, you don't get to gamble. Now, there could be there could be something you know that they can't control, but but guess what? They control their game, and so they can tell you you know they can pull their license to leagues and 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 tournaments if people are gambling on it. So I don't get it. You know, Valve disappoints me. You know yearly with their stance on this whole gambling thing and to to simply give an admonishment about well you shouldn't do it it's bullshit valve should just come out and say <laughs> you don't get to gamble on csgo if you're a csgo pro period yeah. stop end of rant yeah they do this interesting piece where uh on this blog where they again their their words betting using insider information or even the perception of or suspicion thereof carries a significant risk of damaging yeah. your personal brand, your team, your community, and may lead to exclusion from future Valve sponsored events. Like it's it, it's kind of like, hey, you're going to get a bad rap. It's Thanks, not. Dad. <laughs> it, yeah, it's like I, I it it's it's really weird that they put this out here. It's almost pseudo legalese, but it's not. In exactly. a lot of ways, so which is what makes it uh, kind of like heads up, we know something versus a, hey, we're responding to things going on. And I'm wondering how much of it, because if you look at player jerseys, there's so much uh, going on from like Betway, especially Betway at the, this past time, it was just doing CS Summit um, and they were sponsoring that. But there's, there's so much gambling, whether it be skins gambling or whatever it may be uh, involved with CSGO. That they maybe that's why they're not going and and taking this full on stance of, you know, we don't want these teams or uh, tournament owners or anybody being involved with the betting scene, and we're making a hard line. We just don't, you know, maybe we'll deal with it as it comes. It's kind of like they're doing like a pseudo stance of, yeah, please don't do it because we don't want to really have to to talk about this. It's like the birds and the bees conversation. Yeah, the crazy thing is this, I, and I mean, maybe I'm wrong here because I haven't really done the research for this particular uh, next statement, but how many professional traditional sports athletes do commercials or or any kind of advertisement for betting sites? I really would love to see that. 
does LeBron James goes, William Hill, you should do all your bet. I mean, are you serious? And look, here's a little bit of history. Before you could make a living in Counter-Strike, you know, there was all these little tournaments, you know, played in the ballrooms of hotels. You know, there's the I buy power scandal that happened in terms of throwing mm-hmm. matches and things like that. The reason why gambling was so important in the early stages of Counter-Strike was because that was the only way you could make money and still play the game. There were no real player salaries. The winnings weren't that much. So what did you do? Well, you threw matches. You gambled. That's how you made enough money. And in fact, if I'm not mistaken, I'm fairly certain the company you know that owned Virtus Pro owned a gambling site, owned the team, oh, and coincidentally owned the tournaments that Virtus Pro played in. So I have no idea how that was even allowed, where you own the betting site, the team, and tournaments. If there isn't just the hint of impropriety to that, then I, I don't know where my ethical and moral compass lies. You just just don't do it. And I think Valve is just, God, they're just acting like dad instead of making a hard, fast rule. And I don't get why. And I'm hoping to do a little bit more research here in the next couple of weeks and figure all this shit out. It's weird because they come out and they say that uh, professional players, teams, and anyone involved in production of CSGO events should, under no circumstances, gamble on CSGO matches, associate with high-volume CSGO gamblers, or deliver information to others that might influence their bets. But yeah. then they go, to clarify... You should not do this. Yeah, you should. <laughs> you say, so under, under no circumstance or the, the, but they change from like they go this almost a, a hard and fast or like under no circumstance do this because you might get <laughs> reprimanded. Like, it's just it's just stupid. The language it, is too soft and, and in the areas in which it's just like it, it should be like under no circumstance do you do it because you it it is a, a you know a zero tolerance rule you're you're gone. But it's like, yeah, you might. Just, ah, I don't get it. I, no, th- it's, this it's is, a, something's coming. <laughs> it's, it's, it, I, my mind is blown that Valve simply doesn't take a hard stance on it. And they'll never comment. Kevin Naki and I were on the forefront of the whole skins gambling thing uh, with the Washington State Gambling Commission. I actually have a source there, and I've spoken to them at length about, you know, skins gambling, things like that. They ordered Valve to not, you know, to not do skins gambling because they apparently had, you know, third party software and bots. And um, the point is, is Valve understands the ecosystem. There's got to be something that they know that we don't as to why they're being soft on this. And I swear I'm going to be a hound dog and I'm going to dig and I'm going to find this stupid reason why they won't take a hard stance. Yeah. And you know what? It's it's funny because when it came to the skins gambling, they played dumb, right? Like they, yeah, we, yeah. we can't do this. We can't do that. And then they did it anyways. Like they had the ability to do it. Uh, but knowing uh, Valve, you just had to have somebody say like, uh, uh, raise their hand. Like, uh, I guess I'll do that this week because <laughs> that's just the way Valve runs. But yeah. With this, it's almost like they, I, I think they know that they can't handle it because it's completely external. It's not theirs. Uh, and I don't think they even have the 
beginnings to understand how to handle such a thing or even how they're going to reprimand. So they're just kind of throwing it out there, like warning them, right? Like, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Cause we don't, it reads like, don't do that. Cause we don't want to have to deal with it. <laughs> it's what it, what yeah, it boils down that, to. It really does. That's a great way to put it. Jesus. It, it's come on. It's valve. It's so pull weird. your heads out of your asses and ban players from betting on counter-strike that play counter-strike very simple yeah you should not be allowed to do it plain and simple doesn't matter uh because even if it's another another team another player another league whatever you may not even be a part of uh you we've seen what goes around and on streams and and who divulges information uh and, and and that scene everybody knows everybody in a lot of ways and so you are likely dealing on something or some kind of insider information, so they say. But so let's um, let's move on to some more to, to some more things here. So the ESL Pro League seven uh, teams were announced. Uh, there was a little bit of a hitch in this one in that uh, two NA teams did not uh did not uh re-up so it actually drops down any teams participating the number to 12 i i'm not going to read off every single name but it's pretty much everybody would you would imagine uh except that europe has now two more teams than na so uh that's uh, that list can be found pretty much on hltv.org you can just anywhere (laughs) esl's site Uh, i just want to kind of call that out because it's we we talk about it being the year of NA and is going to make a comeback, but uh, we had two teams there that just did not uh, follow up on their licenses, which was a CLG and Misfits. And uh, I'm actually surprised that they didn't try to offer them out to somebody else or somebody else picked them up. Wouldn't you think that'd be possible? Yeah. And here's the thing. How do you just sit back and give that spot up like that? And which is funny because Jacob Wolf uh, from ESPN and I, we had heard four or five months ago, that we were going to start losing NA teams. Like a lot of the owners were talking about, you know, some significant NA teams dropping. So I'm pretty sure that, you know, CLG and Misfits, and there's probably going to be some more teams that start dropping here because the ecosystem isn't working to promote more teams. And so I'm really bothered by ESL right now. I love them as human beings. They're some of the nicest people on the planet. But there seems to just be a failure to launch in terms of understanding competitive integrity. And that that really bothers me. So I, God damn it. You know, I'm actually surprised that we didn't see... Uh, and the X Immortals was 100 Thieves jump in there. Somebody picked that up. You, you think that they would at least shop that around? I don't know. It, I guess it's hard to, to say, like, who, who would buy in. You can't just give a, give it away um, because everybody else is paid to be in the league in, in some way, shape, or form. Uh, notable uh, or uh, noteworthy uh, per- group missing from Europe is uh, Virtus Pro are not listed there. Which I find interesting, uh, being that they, I know that they've kind of gone through a shuffle with Taz leaving, uh, but uh, yeah, know, they it, lost. Rel- they lost in relegation, I believe. Is, oh, they that's right. That's lost. right. They yeah. did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they got beat. <laughs> <laughs> maybe they'll just uh, dump everybody, go to North American, uh, do pull an optic in reverse. Uh, you're right. It was ESL Pro League that they bounced out of. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm gonna uh, yeah, I totally remember. Yeah, it was something dumb. It was something yeah. dumb. They shouldn't have done it. But uh, so that aside, um, 
I, yeah, I'm really surprised we didn't get two more NA teams. But moving on to the next tournament, some more ESL uh, goodness, of course. Uh, the uh, Katowice teams were also announced this week. And, of course, uh, plenty of the usuals invited there. And But one of the things I, I really why I'm calling this out is largely because they chose to suspend the roster change rule for Katowice. And, and in doing so, they've allowed Optic to get in with their with their new crew. Um, not Optic, sorry. Uh, Team Liquid to get in with their new crew. Virtus Pro got their roster changes in. And Renegades also got their, their roster changes in. So they made, they suspended the the uh the rule in which you had to have either so it had been like so long since you played with another team uh or the other piece was that you had to have a roster locked in by a certain time so that these these teams could be pieced together they could play with their full team and they cited the reason as being well if we didn't do it we felt that the level of competitive play would be lessened because of it god just another yeah I- Oh, man. Okay. So a couple arguments. One is, and you and I talked about this on the last show. Right. Um, what is, is money more important than competitive integrity? And is having the best possible CS, is that, you know, pushing towards competitive integrity? No. Competitive integrity is you didn't make it with your former team. So why do you get to play with another team? If I'm Astralis, I would ask for Simple to come be on my roster. I would just say, you know what? Um, Yeah, we need to make a roster switch. Thanks for suspending the rule. Rules are put in place to protect competitive integrity, or so I thought. It seems that whenever Virtus Pro is involved in a roster or, or, or some, the rules always change for them. If you remember, there was some, I swear... When they lost and they weren't coming to the league, they added a rule where Virtus Pro could play again. And I think that's how like the relegation stuff started. What about all the other teams from forever ago that were in this exact same situation that didn't get fixed? How would you feel if you're they? I, I just I don't know, man. I just I think ESL continues to make decisions based on people that whine instead of having competitive integrity it's bullshit i i yeah you, you fired me up again dude another week <laughs> i know i know bad rules and a lack of competitive integrity and it just makes me mad <laughs> well again it's one of those things where now that they've bent the rule they've opened the floodgates for it why can't it be bent every other time and and that's it's just a, a, a slippery slope. And I think, if I was correct, I thought they already extended the deadline. And then they just finally said, yeah. no, we're doing away with it. So hey, there's just, again, I, I think the whole WESA involvement, I'm sure there's something going on there. Because, uh, you know, the ruling WESA body and ESL are just loving on each other. Uh, who knows what's going on in the on the back end? But again, they're a tournament organizer. They want uh, they want to put butts in seats. So having the best competitive uh, teams or the, the full teams there is what puts butts in seats and then makes them some money. Tell us that's what matters. Then tell yeah. come straight out and tell us that's what matters. You know what, guys? So 
Forget the roster rules. Put anybody you want on your team because we want the best CS to be played. So once you make it, you can pick up anybody you want. In fact, if Fallen wanted to trade teams and go play for Astralis for a tournament, he should be able to do that. So just tell us. It's about money. It's about putting butts in the seats. It's not about having a fair tournament. Just tell us. They'll do it on Facebook, though, and nobody will know. It's just, <laughs> sorry. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> sorry. I had to throw that out there. So uh, real quick, on that note, we are going to take a break, and we'll be back with uh, a little bit of Dota 2 uh, news there. It's also might get <laughs> might get uh, Kevin fired up again, and uh, then we'll talk a little bit of Hearthstone. And, uh, yeah, we'll be back. All right, and we're back, and uh, we're going to jump right into some ESL uh, Katowice information again. Something new coming out. Again, more people screaming. This one's in Dota 2 that the people don't like how the the, the stage matches uh, are, are set up, and, and the uh, I guess this the schedule. They, people hate the schedule, so everybody starts giving ESL hell for it. For the fact uh, that on Saturday you've got your pre-show quarterfinal number two. Again, they're splitting up quarterfinals, semis, and uh, one and two. And then basically you have a, on Sunday you have a pre-show, grand final, and then the winner ceremony. Now, this is almost echoes a lot of what Ely did where they've kind of the last quarterfinal match is landing on the same day as the semifinal matches which means if you make it through uh the quarter number two you're playing double the amount of games in a day and so they kind of uh went off a lot of people were giving them hell largely because of the amount of dota 2 that's being done on the weekend and how much travel and just blah 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 but they eso uh came out and actually jumped into reddit to explain why they were doing some of this and they largely it was because oh we booked it out a long time ago and another day in that arena is just not something that they can do (laughs) even though our upcoming tournaments uh, will actually feature three days they just didn't have it logistically uh, set up this time around which that's their excuse again this time is like well we didn't get a lot of dota to him because we planned it ahead of time and we didn't plan well yeah, here we go again, right? Here we go again with the, you know, money versus, you know, having a fair and balanced tournament. And not only that, but there's, I mean, nobody even knows if they're getting, you know, there's 16 teams, if I'm not mistaken, at this thing. And so people that buy tickets only get to watch, what, four matches? So it's like, where are the other matches being played? And, and, and it's just, oh my gosh. So yeah. again, so if you're having the quarterfinal and two semifinals played on one day, obviously that means that one team is going to have to play twice. Now, is that fair to the other team that, you know, because if you're in the quarterfinal playing twice, you're the team that's there the earliest. So the other two teams get to sleep in, go and do their daily routine, blah, blah, blah. But if you're playing in that quarterfinal number two, you have to be there and then you're going to have to, you know, wait and play um, again. And so it, it, it's not fair. And I'm really happy to see the fans um, kind of speak out against this type of schedule. 
And it, I love that the fans are speaking out that, you know, they only get to watch four matches. And the argument is, well, the grand finals is really what we need to hype. Well, then run both the semifinals in the morning and bring the grand final back at seven o'clock at night or something. Do something, but stop playing this one quarter final, two semifinals, and thinking that it's okay. It just, it just, it just isn't. It just isn't. Somebody do something. Yeah, and in this case, I mean, they're, to their credit, they're at least trying to find ways to add some more content. And the problem with a lot of this is, is that. Uh, they've set precedent in, in other tournaments as around whether or not they're doing best of threes, best of fives. And because this is uh, outside the normal tournament structure of them having, say, three days like in Genting, they, they only have two. And so they're trying to squeeze in a lot, but not too much because it can go too long. It is Dota. What we talked about last week is now happening, which is yeah. people are like freaking out um, because there's not enough stuff on one day and one another day is o- overloaded. Again, again, we're we're running into a thing where tournament organizers are crunching for for space. As someone who's thrown uh, conventions, even here in, in Washington State, getting a hold of these spaces sometimes is is very difficult, and getting them on a weekend is very costly. Adding in extra days, extra hours, you're already paying time and a half for whatever union you may be using for your labor, um, because things had to be torn down. It's just not the ESL's company who, who's setting everything up. And so things become expensive and the amount of time sometimes has to be crunched. And the, but, but the thing is you have to figure that stuff out as a tournament organizer ahead of time. If you're doing, if you're airing all this stuff, say on Twitch and that's how you're getting through. And then you're just going to do a couple of days of, of Dota. Uh, you know, again, this, in this case, two days of Dota content, you just have fi- four teams then. You <laughs> just have four teams. Right. Do a right. Four team tournament, two semis, one final. It's the exact same thing, isn't it? That people are going to get to see. Who cares right. about quarterfinal two? Just four teams. They played in a qualifier. They'll do the semis on Saturday, finals on Sunday. Nobody can bitch. And it'll just ruin the whole system because now there won't be as enough teams. It just fires me up. What it boils down to is they can modify their uh, tournament format to better fit this versus trying to shoehorn in something that it just doesn't work and technically isn't entirely fair, especially with the way that they're doing some of the earlier rounds uh, and then the the later rounds being best of three now instead of best of five because they can't fit them in. It just it it, it what it equates to is is some teams have to play a lot. Uh, a lot of put in a lot of hours competitively uh, during those two days. And uh, some teams don't as well as, well, there's not actually a lot of Dota going on because uh, they've really just shoehorned the last <laughs> two, two <laughs> basically pieces of the bracket into Saturday and Sunday and everything else is kind of on Friday, but not really. And now here we are them trying to publicly figure it out and they're looking a little dumb in doing so. You know, I think you make good points. I think I'm just looking at it from if I was a participant, if I was, you know, a coach, if I was an org that owned, you know, a Dota 2 team, and I'm the team that's got to play that quarterfinal and then play in the semi, I just don't think it's fair. So, Right, right. Okay, moving on to tournaments that generally have issues, but this time around, not so much. 
Uh, the HCT uh, tour stops that are going on, we just had one in Germany this past weekend. It was actually run by the same people who do uh, Need for Seat, so Take TV ran it, which is kind of weird because you're used to this kind of Take TV vibe. So it's like, imagine the CS Summit people uh, running out of that house a legit major, and all of a sudden you're just like, wait a minute, this feels a little awkward and weird. And the cool thing about this tournament is we just had this last round of nerfs, and so Dex... Uh, and deck building is kind of in, in disarray um, because we don't uh, the, a lot of the old decks that we're used to Raza Priest pretty much every aggro deck had to be modified and take out patches uh, a lot of that has, has um, really not really it hasn't proven itself and the new iterations of that haven't proven itself and so you have these this group of players who only had uh, hours I don't even think they had an entire day even to submit their decks uh, after these changes so they had to make calls pretty early on and what you saw was a lot of people playing it safe we saw a lot of decks that we haven't seen in quite some time and we saw like nazoth paladin making a comeback we haven't seen that since like a dream hack like a year ago even or like maybe just knights of the frozen throne like maybe late summer it just really uh and even then it was it was a deck that just kind of became a thing until we found out better stuff. And so <laughs> it, it was just a, a, a weird space to have a tournament in, but also nice because you got to see different decks. It was the first time we've seen all nine classes represented in a tournament. And I, I don't even know if uh, I can remember the last time that happened. Uh, and that was largely due to Odemian uh, bringing two of the classes that were the only ones that were, he gave representation. That was the warrior with his dead man's uh, hand warrior. Uh, and he also did an evolved shaman, which also, uh, well, he was the only evolved shaman. So uh, there was one other person who brought rogue, but again, that's a drastic change from what we'd seen in the past. And so this group, uh, again, it was a lot of people who we've sort of heard before uh, around that you know if you're if you're involved in the scene uh glazer was involved odemian you've heard of a, a couple times before as well and these people uh, they're not your your big named kind of streamers or the regulars that you see in tournaments there was orange there was jackie chan but those were like the big name players uh for this tour stop and uh the top eight was a really strong top eight and the funny thing was, is going into the top eight, I believe it might have been Orange said that everybody in the top eight, but maybe one, that it was kind of not necessarily deserving of it, but was such a good player that they knew that they, he he knew that they would be there. And it wasn't 100% certain who he meant, but when it, he was saying that, uh, I believe it was, it might have been Raven was standing next to Be Quiet the player be quiet and he said oh yeah that person's me and who wins it be quiet <laughs> so my uh, new favorite player by the way because he's playing a priest in his uh, deck choices well yeah i mean that the the most common deck was was priest throughout it but he was the only one to actually bring uh big priest where everybody else kind of went with the dragon variant because that's a little more tried and true a little more tested uh, and can obviously win with minion pressure and doesn't really re rely 100% on that combo. But he went Big Priest, uh, which is not something that everybody else brought. He's the only one to bring it, and it takes him through to the final. Now, to be fair, and I know I'm a little long-winded on this, but to be fair, uh, the, <laughs> the draws by my man, uh, Hunt Race, at the, at the last, just the entire finals, all three rounds, 
uh, echoed what happened to me at PAX, at PAX South. <laughs> Just the worst draws ever. Uh, I mean, again, he took some decks that were very greedy, very control heavy. Uh, he was running like Nazoth Control Warlock, Nazoth Control Pally, Big Spell Mage, Dragon Priest. Uh, and again, he just kind of got really crap hands. I think he, even his Dragon Priest, priest I don't think he... He didn't draw a dragon to like turn six or seven. He was just dead. It was just done. It was just, you could just see every card draw. He was just like, what the hell is going on? And again, Be Quiet uh, did play well. He did not really make any, you know, huge dumb mistakes. He wasn't uh, necessarily someone who shouldn't have been there. He had played well all tournament long, but he was just one of those people that most people didn't assume. He's kind of like the Doc Pone of of, of this tournament. <laughs> Um, yes. And it, again, it, it was just good to see a ver, more of a variety of, of of decks, a lot more paladin than we normally see, the non-aggro pally even. So anyways, I, again, it was uh, a great tournament. If you get a chance uh, watching the finals, it was a, a complete sweep. It was 3-0, all in Be Quiet's favor. Um, it, it's... <sighs> We always joke that when you get to a finals, it ends up being like totally lopsided. This one was, but it shouldn't have been. But it's almost uh, just disgusting to watch because of how bad Huntress's draws were. At one point in time, they joked. They said, we don't even need to cast this seeing the board. We're just going to cast this based off of player cams. And we will. We can tell you who is winning. <laughs> because he was just in total disbelief the entire time. Everything he had put forward, uh, all, all the work and everything he... It, all of his game plans went out the window because just nothing, nothing worked for the man. Like you said, the cool thing is when you don't know what decks are going to work and watching people try to put together decks because of changes that were made in a fast period of time, that's where it gets fun for me because you really see who knows their stuff and who can you know articulate that uh, by putting a good deck together in a short amount of time. Yeah, the one of the things with this is, uh, especially coming so close after that nerf, is you, it adds that extra layer of skill. So it's not like you have people who are really good at, at uh, piloting decks, right? They know how to play against other decks based on the decks that are kind of popular in the meta, tried and true, well-piloted, well-known, refined and refined and refined. And we're like, okay, that's the list. And they're good. Like, Colento's a perfect uh, example of that. He's one of those players who uh, has even himself said, I'm not a good deck builder, but I can pilot everything. I'm, I'm, it doesn't matter what it is, um, but he's often not the person to try it out to get it to the, the refined level. Uh, he might make some things here and there, but he mostly is a pilot. Where you have people like Jackie Chan, who is renowned for kind of his wacky deck building and maybe his ability to build decks, who is in here. And so you add that extra layer of it. Just It's not just the pilot of the deck. Uh, you have to have some wits about you to uh, make good decks and make a read on a meta that doesn't even exist or only exists on in, on in theory or on paper or in some random stats. And you have to really be stat-driven a lot uh, to uh, make those calls. And it's hard because there's not a lot of data. Ma- majority of the time we get data like a week later, like, oh, here's what the meta is, and which is why you saw some safe bets. And I think uh, seeing a lot of, uh, you know, Nazoth everything is kind of that, that safe bet, uh, especially going in heavy with the, the Q-blocks. Um, it, it's just... People went greedy. You saw some people go, I want to go greedy because that seems to be what wins when aggro takes a, a, a dump. 
is people go the long game and I want to be the greediest long game. And you saw that with a lot of decks. And so I, I'm excited to see what, what future tour stops, um, what they can provide, especially if they can change the meta in some way, shape, or form, or introduce more new decks. I don't know how often they're going to happen, but that's something we'll address here in the in this next segment, which is the changes to the tournaments, what they talked about. But I'm excited because it's just it's more top-level gameplay. It's being hosted by different people. You're going to get uh, more Hearthstone, more HCT points, more people getting a chance to uh, get a sta- get up on stage and, and play in front of uh, you know a viewing audience or a larger audience, whatever it may be, and that's that's great. And so, one, a couple of things that did come out uh, right around the same time this was a, a blue post on the forums where they wanted to bring a, a little more uh, awareness to around when HCT store store uh, when HCT uh, tour stops are happening. And that is um, largely because a couple of people felt like the the ramp up to signups or even getting all this information online is uh, was kind of lagging was was hard to find, and so they've narrowed it down to you will basically get everything through H uh, the HS Esports Twitter account. They plan to give uh, you know there, that there's going to be 24 tour stops this year, eight each in the Americas, Asia, Asia Pacific, and Europe. They want to give you. Uh, at least four days notice before registration begins gives you six weeks notice before there is even a uh, where those tournaments are going to be held so you can book stuff uh, like flights and hotels because booking four days out is not easy or fun and i think of largely this last round of tournaments it was affected by the fact that everybody was so busy focusing on the final in january that um, the tour stops was kind of didn't have the amount of people on it or behind it to make the big pushes so uh, to make the, the big push of information out to everybody. But now it's like all hands on deck because it's a new season. And uh, hopefully a lot of these things like the open deck list will be taken care of. Uh, patch timings will be taken care of. Although I found this to be kind of exciting. Uh, so the changes are going to be happening. Uh, they, they, they're always in a constant state of revision when it comes to the HCT tour. Uh, and just uh, the tournament structure in general. And they're willing to make changes when it when it needs to happen. So I have faith. It's good that they're already addressing it. We're only, this is our first tour stop. It was in Germany. We've got a winner. We got to be quiet. Uh, he's new face. He's got his 16 HCT points for it. A uh, couple, like what, like seven grand in his pocket to do it. And which is also cool because that allows him to continue to pay to go to other ones if he wants to, <laughs> um, which is, which was uh, what a lot of people said. It's like, it's not so much the notoriety you get from this. And some of it's not even the points, but the, the money value, even though it's not high, it's, it's, it's kind of like putting, I don't know, putting money in the pot to keep going to these, and you can make more and more because he could attend more. He could he could get more points this way, and you could essentially find yourself in the HCT championships because of through tour stops, and that's uh, always a cool thing if you don't want to sit and grind it out on a ladder, which is also changed. But uh, I digress. It, it, I'm a Hearthstone nerd, man. I don't know if I let I you know it. this ahead of time, but I'm that's my that's my I gig. That's my jam. I, I nerd out pretty hardcore. And so that's what I was watching all weekend. Uh, so while I was playing it, uh, playing Hearthstone on this random Warlock Zoo deck that I kind of modified a version that Firebat had, and I'm just destroying ladder right now. I'm like, I don't know, I think I'm like 16 and 2 with that thing. It's a, a beautiful run I'm on. 
Uh, so I don't want to jinx myself, but I probably just did. Anyways, that all, all aside, uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, call it a show. Kevin, thank you again for jumping on uh, for uh, Brian, who I think he just had his whole face welded. He's going to look like, uh, uh, I don't know, some kind of dragon out of Warcraft now, maybe. Um, but uh, thanks, man. I really appreciate it. I'm going to give you a couple seconds to give yourself a, a shout out for where people yeah, find well, you on first, the internet. Uh, yeah, first I want to say, Brian, get well, and uh, I hope that Vicodin you're on right now is really uh, putting you to sleep. Oh, he, he's in Portland. You know it's weed, man. That's, that's where <laughs> he went. He went straight to the CBD. <laughs> Having 12 holes drilled in your jaw is not very fun, so get get well soon, brother. But um, no, you guys can see me, um, my work at vpesports.com, and my Twitter is always, if you want to follow, uh, you know, follow me and, and see all the trouble I get into. That's uh, Kevin underscore hit. And if you want to uh, follow us on Twitter, uh, you can always hit us up at uh, nerf this crew and that's on Twitter. And also nerf this dot GG is the website. And if you add a little slash discord to the end of that, you can end up in our discord, which occasionally b- becomes problematic when we go to record, um, <laughs> but you can end up there and you can uh, chat a little bit with us around I don't know, Overwatch, although it's it's a down week, but we got Overwatch, we've got CSGO, you can yell at me about Hearthstone, say, hey, your deck choice sucks. Uh, today <laughs> I was throwing out really bad pictures, mimicking like people putting bad pictures of, uh, instead of putting screenshots from their like phone or device of Hearthstone, they would take like a phone and take a picture of a phone and it'd be like blurry and dumb. So it's like taking pictures like, hey guys, does this deck list, do you think this will work? And it's like my th- finger covering up half of this shot and it's like... <laughs> It's it's of me taking a shot of my computer and I'm like ten feet away from it with my finger in the picture and people are just like this is this is so dumb I'm so so this is amazing but it's like so spot on. Uh, anyways, yeah, I don't even know what's going on, but uh, you can. <laughs> this is what happens when it's like end of the show, end of the beer. Just close it out. Seven doesn't know how to do it because he doesn't do it that often. Uh, so yeah, uh, show at uh, nerfthis.gg if you just want to complain or be like please please don't drink in in podcasts anymore. And with that, going to call the show, and uh, yeah, have a good one.